Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kimley Svensson. She is founder and CEO at Drive Talent. We're going to talk to her a little bit about what's going on in the cannabis industry from a talent point of view. Uh, Obviously, growing, expanding industry needs people. Curious where people are finding people (laughs) and then what kind of the challenges are. Uh, You know, I think talent is one of those really key factors to growing and scaling any business, but certainly in the cannabis space with kind of the talent situation and kind of the industry what it is and how it's been growing the last decade or so is really a kind of a key factor for many companies. Certainly many of the companies that I work with, talent is critical and, and is a strategic priority. So with that, Kim Lee, welcome to the program. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah. So let's do background first. So tell us a little bit about yourself professionally. How did cannabis get involved? Give us the story and then we can kind of dig into our topics. Sure. So I spent most of my career inside, more of the corporate side, heading up mm-hmm. recruiting groups and but always had this entrepreneurial 
side to me. I was always trying to do side businesses and thinking, okay, this will be my breakout (laughs) and kept getting pulled back in and the right opportunity presented itself. I was working for Corn Ferry at the time, one of the larger executive search firms. And my, uh, who happened to be my ex-husband who was in recruiting as well, came to me and said, why don't we, you know, go out on our own? I have work, you have work that we could do and let's partner up. And uh, we started up Waterstone uh, of course, with the support of my husband mm-hmm. and saying, yes, let's do this. And we ran it for five years together. And um, then I, we, we separated in January and I launched Drive Talent then. And I just knew this was the entrepreneurial opportunity to use the skills that I had and get out there and really make it up as I went along and lead mm-hmm. a team. Um, how we got into cannabis, also my, my husband, for many reasons, was a huge advocate for it. And he came to my partner and I, my ex-husband and I partner at the time and said, Mm -hmm. oh, this was four years ago, I believe. And he said, you know, I don't see any other recruiting firms with the exception of a couple who are focusing on cannabis. This could be a real opportunity for you to be pioneers and get out there and take the risk and do the thing that others aren't willing to do, like these larger firms. And so we just started educating ourselves and getting out and going to conferences and learning as much as we could. And so now, I mean, it seems like dog years now, it was (laughs) years ago. And when we separated our businesses in January, the cannabis was something that I was really passionate about. And my partner believed in it, but he said, you know, this is your baby. So go with it. So now it's under my umbrella with Drive Talent. When you started looking at cannabis, why were the big, you know, the big executive recruiting firms, you know, talent firms not getting into cannabis? Like what was the block for them? I would say stigma. Stigma is a a huge part of it. And then also the legality of it, because they, you know, operate on a national and international level Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. concern that it, you know, continues to be federally illegal. So... So it's going to basically taint their finances or or taint their other business if they started accepting fees from cannabis companies that were going to get sucked into that vortex. Right. And I think, but that, you know, that combined with the stigma... Yeah. Because there, I did encounter, although I will say on rare occasion, I encountered those from my past life within the larger firms. And uh, some were, you know, had more of the mindset of, oh, that's kind of goofy that you're doing that. And, you know, making remarks about hippies and uh-huh. potheads and all of that and, and calling it, you know, marijuana rather than cannabis. And so, you know, we really embraced that as an opportunity to educate, but also, you know, understand where people were coming from. It wasn't, we weren't going to accomplish, you know, progress for us and others by being a hammer around it or shaming people or telling them that, you know, we knew what was best. It was more um, also believing like time will tell, time will show what amazing things this plant can do, both recreationally and medicinally. So patience and kind of coming at it with our arms at our side and, and educating ours, like boning up on stuff, on information in the industry so we could understand fully what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what was it that you had to learn? Was it like just understanding the plant and cultivation? Was it more of the cultural and political side of it? Was it the regulatory side of it? I mean, how? where did you, I guess, what did you know you didn't know? <laughs> and what did you not know you didn't know as you kind of got into cannabis? Uh, we knew we didn't know anything other than, I mean, yeah. my, my husband being an advocate for his own, mm-hmm. um, you know, reasons, just understanding how it had helped family members uh-huh. with so many things. And, it, you know, this is not, I could go into the long list, but I'm sure you're aware of them. But 
just a passion for it and understanding that and really, you know, educating around um, educating himself and then talking with me about it. But going into it thinking like we know nothing about this and we want to be sponges and have kind of connect and learn conversations. So I guess what the biggest learning curve, because we can learn, you know, you can listen and read about Mm -hmm. the the plant and the cultivation and as much as we need to know from a recruiting perspective, but really the bigger learning curve is the cultural aspect of it and also where the connections were, like where these relationships exist, because it is more, it can be more insular just for obvious reasons for coming off of the black market more recent in recent history and Mm -hmm. um, people feeling more cautious and protective and, you know, tied somewhat with the stigma of it. So really, um, you know, the first, my husband offered to go some of the conferences and the first one he went to was like a, uh, it was more around cultivation. It was like seed to sale, I think is what it was, or maybe something more, it was smaller than that in Denver. And it was all like the, the lighting, the soil, the seat, like all of that stuff. And Mm -hmm. he came back and said, clearly, like, this is not, I don't think this is where we need to be. It was good education. But really where we started to tap into it was understanding where are the conversations being had around talent from the top Mm -hmm. down. And that came more when we tapped into, we learned about ArcView. We learned about, uh, what is the investor? There's an investor conference, and I'm blanking on the name of it. That we There's a couple, but... <laughs> yeah, there was um, one that we went to in, in L.A. and New York, and there's been a couple in Chicago, Benzinga also. Okay. Uh, so yeah. that was kind of, okay, these are this is where the money is, this is where the deals are happening, and this is where then decisions are being made around talent. Yeah, getting with the folks that are looking at the investment side. Yes, yes, yeah, so the relationships, but the culture also, I mean... <laughs> Bruce, like understanding too that who's going to fit in this culture and those are the people who have an appetite for risk, but first and foremost can really adapt and move quickly and adjust their thinking and and not get stuck or fixated on one way to do things. Yeah. Yeah. And and what, um, so once you kind of educated yourself, how did, I guess, what did you find as being your kind of strategy or how you were looking at um, kind of finding, you know, it's a double-sided market, right? I have to find people that have needs, have open positions, have have talent needs within the organization. Then I have to actually find that talent. What were some of the things you learned about each side of that market? Well, we learned from the from the client need that the most common thing we were hearing was that they needed people from outside the the industry that they were feeling tapped out, and you alluded to this earlier, like tapped out on those who could, who were appropriate for the stage of their growth in the beginning, and then Mm -hmm. how that need, how the talent need changes over time as the organization grows. And the concern was, though, at the same time, we need someone from the outside, but they will, will they get this? Will they stick? Will they, you know, will this be a good investment in our time and money? And then from the talent Mm -hmm. side, how we came at it, what we brought to the table was, hey, you know, I've been focusing on C-suite and their direct reports like those executives for you know, 15 years now. And so I have a great, I, I know these people, I know it appeals to them, I know who would be a good fit, would not, and um, experience transitioning people from one industry to more of emerging, emerging industries. So it was really like we offered that connection between the two. Once we saw that, that that was needed where they were saying people from the outside, we were we got really excited about how we could contribute. And what did you, 
what did you kind of learn in terms of the types of people that were able to successfully make that switch? I mean, you, you mentioned sort of risk. You mentioned or you know having a risk tolerance. What else did you kind of notice for the folks that that ended up doing well or successfully made the transition from a non-cannabis you know industry into cannabis? And any insights or anything that you noticed uh, that gave you kind of clues when you were talking to them about if they might be a good candidate? Yes. Um, and I should I should preface this with many of the people we were talking to about it were, were people I already knew from prior searches. Like they were candidates that I'd had on other searches. So I had gotten to know them a little bit, just kind of what made them tick. And so it was combined with me reaching back out to those people about different opportunities. And then also what I started noticing is a lot, once we said we were in cannabis and made that known, people started proactively reaching out to me from my network saying, hey, you know, I think I would be really, this could be a really interesting next step for me. So first, the, the interest, I mean, there are plenty of people where I, I, although the smaller number than I expected, but where I came to them and they, and they said, no, you know, I wouldn't consider cannabis. So great. And why? Like, what were the reasons you were getting? Was this, you know, just not the right move? Was it ethical issues, moral issues? What did you find? Yeah, there has, I mean, there were individuals who came from, um, who were Mormon and said that that's something mm-hmm. that they could not do, but they would actually refer people to me, okay. um, which was helpful. But yes, there were there were those who just felt like it was, I would say the most common response was that it, it's too early. Like it's, too, it's a little too uncertain or I'm hearing about a frenzy of activity and it seems like a gold rush and I'm not. So nothing to do with cannabis per se, but rather just the nature of an early stage market. Predominantly an early stage market, but there were definitely those who, in a smaller number that said, no, you know, I object to it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Anything else? Anyone that was interested, but that you realize may not be a good fit for for your own reasons or or not because they weren't interested, but because you just, they weren't going to cut it. Yes. And that usually, those were individuals who came out of very large organizations. Like really they had only had experience within Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. And so understanding like they thought they could they would be able to get it but really what we were seeing with cannabis on the client side was they needed someone who could who understood how to scale something primarily from you know operationally whether their function was marketing or sales or finance but they knew how to scale something quickly and aggressively and either through acquisitions or organically um So those who come out of the really large companies, and I'm probably not you know, saying anything other recruiters haven't heard as well, that if it's all large company, they're going to have a hard time yeah. transitioning over. So really, it was finding that we're talking to people who had that unique blend of the small, mid, larger, had to build something smaller scale up to larger scale. Yeah. So they've been through that growth, kind of the growth process. Anything that you found that people need to be kind of aware of and are cognizant of in terms of how the industry works or, or kind of other other qualities that uh, qualities about cannabis that people need to be aware of to be successful? Well, I think understanding from a regulatory standpoint is really important yeah. and advocacy as well that, you know, the advocacy and employment in the space really go hand in hand. So I think those two things are, are very important. But it's also, God, how would I describe this? Because it's, I often described it as something you just get, it's like herding cats, like couldn't quite put my arms around it in the beginning and understanding how, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how it all operated. But really the foundation of it is relationships and yeah. valuing that above everything else and looking at, you know, those relationships then also extend not only to 
our team and the employees who are on the team, but then also what are we doing for our community and how are we can contributing to well-being? So, you know, if someone is all about the money or mm-hmm. all about the, you know, transaction that could be coming, then that's a flag for us that, okay, you know, really what matters to you right now and what yeah. are your passions and where do you invest your time and how are you going to contribute overall to the space? Yeah. In terms of making placements, is there anything that you had to change in terms of your kind of engagement process or the recruiting process to make it work within cannabis, just in terms of adjustments you had to make for the industry? Yes. Compensation is is one that we actually conducted a salary survey last Mm -hmm. year. And because after doing several C-level engagements, we learned that, wow, it's significantly in cannabis, it's significantly lower um, because they are managing cash so tightly. Even if they have an investor, they still they have to be really conservative. And, you know, it's a bit of a test also in the person's interest. If you're making a, a gob of money at your current employer and you think, oh, cannabis is the new sexy thing. Maybe it's, you know, yeah. the, this is kind of equivalent to Silicon Valley. I'd want to go do that. Then here's the reality is that you will be making significantly less and there were, you know, some small exceptions to that. The other thing, too, for executive level is that most companies did not, were not willing to do where they provide uh, severance. And for those coming out of more established industries and companies, that was a bit of a surprise. So it was something, a conversation that we hit head on from the beginning. And we actually learned from a mistake where we didn't hit it head on because it was a learning curve for us to realize, oh, yeah. goodness, that's something we should have talked about right away. So now in the first conversation with everyone, we, we talk about, okay, whether they do offer it or they don't, how much they offer, so the expectations are set early on. Yeah, so in terms of the severance, did you find that in most industries, they would offer executives severance packages as part of their compensation agreement or part of their employment agreement? And so people were coming into the space kind of assuming that's, that's what happens in most industries, but then cannabis wouldn't do it. And why wasn't cannabis willing to do that? Was it a financial issue? Were there other issues behind that? It was two things. It was financial and also that, well, it's a combination of financial and also seeing, I think there, there were a lot of misfires with leadership hires. Um, usually, you know, before we're, we're brought on to partner, of course, mm-hmm. because they're trying to save in the search fees and doing it on their own and hiring from their, their network and, you know, so-and-so know so-and-so, and it turns out to, to not be the right hire. So they've invested time and money already in people who didn't work out. And so it was a bit of a risk, managing risk on their end as well to say, I'm not going to sign on the dotted line and give this person 12 months of severance when the last guy lasted six months. <laughs> so yeah, it was a combination. Yeah, of so they got burned. They got burned before and they just, they weren't going to, they were going to do that again. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, did that put them at a disadvantage? I mean, I'm, you know, like I understand that, but that's not the new candidate's problem. You know, that was a kind of a misfire on the on the company side. Did you find that that would mean that they wouldn't be able to recruit as good of talent by taking that off the table? Uh, I would say in some cases, yes. I mean, we did lose, we have lost people as candidates because it was for some, it was a hard line for them that they were not, yeah. they're willing to step into a space that they perceive as more, you know, there's going to be more risk here for me professionally. 
And unless I have a guarantee, yeah. then I'm, I'm not willing to do it. Yeah. And I mean, and is that still the case? I mean, I'm kind of curious over the last couple of years as things developed, have you found that, you know, that as time moves on, some of this is, is shifting or do you feel like that's even today? I mean, I know we're even, I mean, right now we're even, <laughs> we're in a slightly different situation, but give me a sense of what you've seen kind of coming into the beginning of 2020 anyway. Well, the beginning of 2020, what we saw were people who I think were actually more open to the idea of coming into the space. And it's odd because I think what happened last fall for cannabis, it really leveled out this steep uphill climb of growth. Yeah. That it was actually for outside talent coming from outside, it was more of a welcome, like, oh, okay, the boom and maybe somewhat of a bust has happened. Now it's leveling out. Now yeah. I feel more comfortable coming in. You know, the odd thing right now in these strange times that we're in yeah. is that inside and outside cannabis, what I'm seeing is we've been fairly inundated with executive level talent, very strong people. This is it's not just, you know, those who needed to be let go, they had to be let go for financial reasons are coming to yeah. us and raising their hands and being flexible and open to roles that maybe would be a little more junior and mm -hmm. less compensation, but they're they're eager for it, then our concern is how do we measure, how do we figure out, I mean, we, can't, we don't have a crystal ball, if they're, if they're going to stay with it yeah. once things do start to pick up, which I think is quite a bit further down the road. But is this a one-year placement or is this someone truly who is going to be invested in this and stick around for the next three, four or five years? Yeah, it's a tough one. Like on one hand, I'm sure cannabis companies are you know, excited because the, yeah, there's a lot of great talent on you know that are available and nothing to do with you know their performance just because of the economy and pandemic and stuff. But yes, on the other flip side of it is you know okay, so in in 12, 24 months, you know, are they going to stick around? Is this really a permanent change, or are they just in it for a, to kind of survive the the downturn here? And, and what's your sense so far? I mean, in terms of for the folks that you've spoken to, companies that are looking to hire, are they are they willing to try it? Are they being selective? As it, are they being cautious? They are being cautious, but there is a little bit of it. And we, we try and, you know, be consultative with this where there's a little bit of the, the hopes and dreams that, oh, wow, this is such an amazing candidate. So I can't help. I mean, I, I have to talk to them. And so yeah. we have to kind of then protect against falling in love with someone where we start to get flags that, okay, this really isn't, we don't think it's going to be longer term, but, you know, time will tell there are they are still being our clients are still being selective and there are ones where you know this is a phenomenal candidate but we decide with the client that you know what I just don't see how it's realistic they're, they're telling us they want it but we also know recruiters know people will always act in their own best interest <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah well they'll, they'll say what they say what, what you want them to hear or what they think you want to hear right right exactly yeah I, mean, I guess at some level too it's always a risk all right you just I mean the question is do you want to some of these maybe maybe they do stick around I mean maybe, maybe even if they have the intentions of you know going back after a year or two you know if they have a great experience they've got an opportunity they say the the uh, kind of growth of the market maybe they do stick around after a while yes, yes. but those who are interested in in cannabis because we really we have long conversations with these candidates and really get to know them. And, you know, because we've been doing this for so long, you start to hear yeah. cues and you know what to, yeah. to listen for if it's, you know, either positive or negative in favor of being a fit for the role. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And what are some of the areas in cannabis that are 
kind of the highest need? Like as, as you look across kind of the industry, are there particular roles or you know segments of the cannabis industry that are really looking for talent? I mean, why is that, I guess, from your point of view? Yeah, is we've seen more almost like the biotech <laughs> side of cannabis where they have more of a a product that's similar to what you would see not necessarily pharmaceutical, but kind of distribution of the product or dispensing of the product. Um, We've also, those who are growing, um, growing and then like the full life cycle, getting the product all the way from seed to sale. Mm -hmm. But, But in terms of functionally, and I will say it's actually been very diverse. So it's also been clients who have been more in the investment space. So it's hard for me to answer because it, it, just as I'm thinking through them, it's been really diverse. Yeah. The role that we've seen where it's the higher number of needs is more around the, the chief financial officer. It seems like that's the first with senior leadership where they realize like we need to switch this person out so that we can grow. And then usually marketing and sales comes pretty quickly after that. Is there any anything that you've seen happening on the finance side? Is it because people are starting to now get different types of investments or they're thinking about, you know, structuring themselves for an acquisition or IPO or what is driving some of the finance stuff? The majority has been around raising capital that they they recognize they need someone in the seat who can help them with that. And that's, you know, then it's a chicken and egg thing where you know, they need someone who can come in and help them raise capital. And they also need the capital to be able to invest in, you know, hiring the right CFO. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, a timing thing for CEOs as well. But it's more from an operational, like an operational CFO is where we're seeing the need where someone can come in and really understand, like, we're wanting to become a grown up in this space. Yeah. And we need to yeah. uh, really be buttoned up around our reporting capabilities that sometimes there have been where they recognize that we weren't really keeping track of this stuff and we grew, but we were still using the same practices that we had when we first started out and stuff is on spreadsheets rather than in a system. So it's part of the maturing you see anyway in other organizations, but I feel like with, with cannabis, it's almost like it's intensified because of the, the time frame that this has all occurred and the need has popped up very quickly. Yeah. You also mentioned marketing was another area. Yes. And what what do you see happening in terms of the types of skills, the types of people that cannabis companies are looking now in terms of marketing? Is there any, any particular skill sets that, that are in high demand? Yes. And it's the challenge is finding that person who has, it's truly an integrative marketing approach. So they bring what we've been asked to identify is someone who has a full life, like all the way from the product concept to testing, to launching the product, to packaging. And when it's not, when it's more of a services-based thing to the kind of what is our brand? How do we need to rebrand? What channels are we going to use? So the savvy with digital and traditional marketing and also analytics, which, you know, I saw a shift with CMOs. It was like four or five years ago where all the CMOs started switching out because the analytics became such an important part. Like we want to see the return on our investment and really yeah. understand this. So CMOs across the yeah. board and now in cannabis, because it's a more recent space that that's always been the case now that they need someone who understands the analytics behind things. So it's almost like they have a bit of a data scientist in them combined with a creative branding person. So yeah. it's a bit of a unicorn, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> a 
I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's always the case. <laughs> uh, I want someone who's short and tall at the same time. Uh. What, and what's your sense? I mean, as you kind of look at the cannabis space, the next 12, 24 months, you know, for folks that are leading cannabis companies and they're kind of grappling with this talent thing, any suggestions, insights you'd have for them in terms of how to be successful in terms of, you know, finding the right people, you know, recruiting them, onboarding, retaining them, any, anything that you can kind of suggest to folks that are in the space? Um, let me think. Because I don't, what I'm, what I'm struggling with is I don't know if it's, at this point in the kind of the life cycle of, of cannabis being off the black market, I don't know mm-hmm. if I would suggest something different from another organization that's growing, that's more entrepreneurial or has become more established, but they're still kind of getting their, their footing. And that is, you know, more of what I hear the clients asking for is this, you know, bringing those who have done this before from an operational standpoint and know how to scale mm-hmm. and that really focusing on that on continuing to refine their practices. And, you know, I think around employee retention, too, it's that that's actually something that I think that many of the cannabis companies we've interacted with have done a very good job of saying, you know, this is our vision, this is our mission. I feel like it can be really pat and no one really knows what it is in outside yeah. of the industry, but it seems like, you know, cannabis because people are going into it for a variety of reasons that can be more personal for them that there is that connection to the company and connection to the brand and pride for what they're building and loyalty to the brand as well. I mean, for companies to be able to hang on to people also some of this kind of gobbling up, of other companies, the mergers um, that were happening, mm-hmm. you know, more, I would say the summer of last year, that's really where employees can be at risk. So it's, you know, a combination of, okay, are we all running in the same direction? And do I value you as an employee? And do you have a future with us? Um, even as the industry can be, there's a lot of moving parts and you may be acquired. Yeah, no, that was good. I mean, I guess generally, would you suggest for those people that need talent that have, you know, that are doing fairly well, should they be fairly aggressive at this point in terms of finding those candidates, you know, making moves just because of the, you know, there is opportunity out there. There's some good people on the market. Is this the time to to bring in some some really good talent at, you know, maybe some, a little bit of savings or a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of maybe slightly lower compensation than you otherwise would have? Absolutely. I think this is, this is a yeah. huge opportunity for the cannabis space. And, and, and while keeping in mind that to understand, are they going to, you know, as best you can, are they really invested in this and going to stick around when things start to turn around outside the industry? But yes, yeah. I say this is a time to capitalize on it and really get a nice, even if the person ends up only being there for, you know, a couple years or less time Mm -hmm. than you would like, what impact can they make in the meantime that will still help you accelerate? So yes, yes, yes. Yeah. No, no, that's great. Give me a pleasure. Um, If people want to find out more about you, about Drive Talent, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. So we are at drivetalent.co. And we also we have a presence on LinkedIn. There's a Drive Talent LinkedIn page. And I also have to mention, too, because my husband has contributed so much to this, he's also yeah. out there on, he does like a day-in, day-out perspective, dietoperspective.org is also something people can check out. And there's a lot of reflections on the cannabis space in there as well. 
That's great. I'll, I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I think you know the sort of talent question or the talent aspect of the industry is so in need and so dynamic in cannabis. It's, I think it's really helpful for folks are listening and, and I appreciate you taking the time today. My pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.